It's time for another Mark Can sandwich. Remember, that's where Mark takes one story and cuts it in half and then inserts a second story right in the middle of it. The first story becomes the bread and the second becomes the good stuff, the meat in the middle. The idea is that the first story points to the second. N.T. Wright said it like this, the flavor of the outer story adds to the zest of the inner one. The taste of the inner one is meant in turn to permeate the outer. And so, pay attention to the three acts in this story because the three work together to tell the one. Welcome to Season 6 of Stories in Scripture, a podcast dedicated to telling the big story of the Bible one piece at a time. In this season, we are walking through Mark's Gospel. Our hope is that these short episodes would lead you into more, into a time of reading, reflection, prayer, Whatever it is for you, the goal is that you let the amazing story about the Savior of the world transform the way you live out your life today. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Peter was keeping close tabs on Jesus these days. After that crazy entry they made into Jerusalem yesterday, he was on high alert. He was expecting some conflict. He was expecting someone to say something or try to do something to Jesus. What he wasn't expecting was for the conflict to involve a fig tree. Apparently, Jesus was hungry, if not hallucinating, because just overheard him cursing a fig tree for not bearing any fruit. He considered saying something, but thought better of it. Jesus was not his usual talkative self after that moment with the tree. And in turn, the group made the few-mile walk from Bethany to Jerusalem in relative silence, each disciple feeling their own version of heavy, the weight that was surely awaiting them in Jerusalem. Jesus was walking faster than normal, seemingly with an extra ounce of mission. The closer they got to the city, the more crowded the streets became. Thousands upon thousands of people were piling into Jerusalem for Passover. Upon arrival, Jesus didn't stop for water or to buy any food from any street vendors. He didn't look to the left or right, just made a beeline for the temple courts. The outer courts of the temple, the spot the Gentiles were allowed to visit and pray. But none of that would be going on today. All they saw was table after table of vendors selling sacrifices for the temple. And just as many, if not more, tables were full of money changers ready to exchange foreign currencies with the money allowed at the temple. No doubt, Peter noted, for a less than fair exchange rate, putting the already tired and unfortunate travelers at even more of a disadvantage. Peter was used to the quick debrief at this point in the day, the moment Jesus would tell them a brief overview of what to expect for the coming hours. None of that came. Jesus wouldn't even make eye contact with any of them as he entered the temple courts, picked up the first table he saw, and threw it across the courtyard. The busy courtyard went still. There was a collective gasp as money scattered across the floor. But Jesus wasn't done. Far from it. Before anyone could register what happened, he sent another table flying. More money clattered off the courtyard before him. 
There was a bench to his right where a merchant was sitting, a dozen doves in a cage behind him, and the man stood up as Jesus picked up the bench and chucked it across the floor. The cage of doves snapped free and the birds got away. The man, too livid for words and yet too terrified to fight back. The whole system came to a screeching halt. Merchants stopped selling. Money exchangers stopped exchanging. Everyone was simply staring. By the time Peter could gather his thoughts, he was too late. There was already a giant group of people surrounding Jesus, an angry mob demanding to know why merchants were now crawling on the ground, searching to find every last coin. But Jesus' voice boomed a decimal above all the critique. Is it not written, he said, with a different level of authority than what Peter was used to. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Peter looked around and saw to his shock that besides from the angry merchants, there was a large crowd of people nodding their heads and praising Jesus for his words and actions. But that wasn't the only group. Peter couldn't help but notice the chief priests and teachers of the law shaking, not bothering to hide their anger as they gathered together, no doubt scheming up a way to kill this man. Things quieted down a bit, but everyone in the temple seemed to stay and remain on high alert, as if everyone was intimidated by the rabbi and scared about what he may do next. Let's go, Jesus said to his disciples with a hint of a smirk as the sun began to get low in the sky, as if to say mission accomplished. The walk back to Bethany was a lot lighter. Jesus was back to his usual self, telling stories, asking questions, and of course, shifting back and forth between heavy questions and lighthearted humor. Peter exhaled his first deep breath in several hours. With the last remaining moments of light, he realized that no matter how heavy of a day it may have been, that they were still together, still making the same old jokes and enjoying each other's presence. Things were different now, and yet at a deeper level, they were exactly the same. Things had changed and yet remained unchanged. Peter went to bed thankful for that truth. Dread about tomorrow turned into determination to be with Jesus no matter what came their way. His rabbi woke them up earlier than usual. Apparently this was going to be a big day because Jesus wanted to get an early start. They packed up for the day and headed out just as the first glimpse of morning light began to break through. Peter glanced over to the fig tree Jesus had cursed the day before, or at least he glanced over to what was left of it. It had completely withered up from the roots, dried out, and from the looks of it, odds were very slim that it would ever bear fruit again. Rabbi, look, Peter said, remembering what Jesus had said, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. 
And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And so there's our sandwich. Did you see it? Cursing the fig tree is the bread on either end with Jesus clearing the temple in the middle. What in the world is going on here? Well, if you read the rest of Mark 11, that question is answered. Jesus brings the crew right back into the middle of the temple courts and the chief priests and the teachers of the law immediately corner him, trying to trap him in his words. They ask him by what authority he does all these miracles, and Jesus, in turn, responds with a question of his own about John the Baptist, asking if John's baptism was from heaven or human origin. They eventually realize that the question is a lose-lose, and so they refuse to answer, stating, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was the prophet. So they answer Jesus, we don't know. Jesus, in turn, says, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And there it is, the sandwich on full display right in front of us. Let me explain. Jesus sees a tree that looks like it should be producing fruit, but isn't bearing any fruit, and he gets frustrated with it. And then he walks into the temple, the center of religious activity, right in the middle of Passover prep, and sees a ton of business, a ton of work, a ton of activity. An outsider would say everything looks quite fruitful, and yet he knew it wasn't actually bearing any fruit, at least not any of the eternal fruit God created us for. And so he turns over all the tables as if to say those systems, the ones that aren't bearing fruit, it's time to let them wither and die. The whole sacrificial system was actually just pointing to something bigger, something even more beautiful. Jesus was about to lay down his life once and for all to pay the ultimate sacrifice to complete the sacrificial system once and for all. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews talks about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And so I love that the very next story is about the religious leader still caught up in the same old silly religious game trying to trick and trap each other into saying the wrong thing. It's like Mark is saying, here's a tangible example of the sandwich I just showed you. A tangible example of something that looks like it should be producing fruit that isn't producing any fruit. Jesus just came in and overturned the entire system as if to say this whole thing has always been about you being with God having a relationship with God. And all this other stuff is great if it's pointing us toward God. 
But once it starts being about ego and winning arguments and power and all the silly games of wondering who the crowd likes more and who's more popular and all of that, that's all just shrapnel of the fall. Shrapnel of our sinful nature. And Jesus came to do away with all of it. And so, the thought for today. Is there a way you are still trying to earn your right standing before God? Is there a way you are still trying to perform your way into God's good grace? What would today look like if you actually believed Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, 21? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories in Scripture. We hope Season 6 is bringing Mark's Gospel to life for you, and that this episode helps you see the bigger picture Mark is painting for us. If you are enjoying this podcast, we'd love for you to share it with your friends, and rating and review it goes a long way as well. We love getting to tell these stories and appreciate you coming along for the ride. So we'll see you next time for our next story.